Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday celebration from the Center of Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. The bell tolls, Ernest Hemingway asks. The bell tolls for thee. In Buddhism, they call it the mindfulness bell. On my Zen calendar this week, there was a quote from the Buddha himself who said, mindfulness in Buddhism is our form of meditation. So that every moment as we move through life mindfully, could we see it as a meditation? And a meditation is an aligning to this vast awareness of source through the journey of this life that we get to experience. And the goal is self-realization, where the one that knows no other awakens within its creation. And we are both the creation and we are the one waking up within that creation. Dr. Ernest Holmes in The Science of Mind evolved When he wrote the Science of Mind text, he said, we move into the absolute to the degree that we move out of the relative. As he evolved in his 60s, he said, I was wrong. He says, the absolute and the relative aren't separate. He says, the relative is the absolute at the level of the relative, just as the absolute. And so last week or the week before, I think it was on January 1st, someone gave me this beautiful book. Come on in, Barry, you beautiful soul about non-dualism and in non-dualism we experience oneness there's only one here one life and he so beautifully James Twyman said this being human is like being in a shell a chick in a shell and the shell is composed of your ideas of who you think you are of your conditioning by society your expectations your projections your whole mental construct and he said when we peck out of the shell of the technology wizard and we find ourselves back in this vast spacious field he says then go sit at the foot of a tree or watch a swan and then you're in that spacious place with one of your relations and they're all our relations And so the Chinook Indians would go to the mountain and they would go to the tree, they would go to the ocean and they would say, teach me and show me the way because I'm lost in the shell of me, the shell that I've created, that someone has created around my perception of myself. And so in this month of January, I'm doing the theme based on the very last book that Ernest Holmes wrote at the end of his life. And that book was called A New Design for Living. At whatever age, at whatever stage we are on this journey, we get to set an intention as how we choose to live the life that we've been given. Are we going to do it from the same old patterns of struggle, seeking validation from the world? Or are we going to put ourselves in debt to the universe and know ourselves as 
what Barbara Marx Hubbard called the universal human. And that requires a certain amount of evolution on our part. And what's so interesting, Sri Aurobindo said, the way we evolve on the outside of life is that we have to experience an involution in here. And so I was reflecting on the shells that we break out of. And then I heard in the back of my head, Emerson to the rescue. Well, you know, he's not dead. He lives in me, says Bert, who also lives in me. Look at that beautiful face, those blue eyes piercing your soul. And throughout Emerson's life, the shell kept falling away. And when it fell away, it took him into a deeper realization. It started when he was seven and his father died. And then he went to Harvard at like 10 and graduated at 14. And he followed in his father's footsteps and he became a very famous minister at the first church in Boston, a big prestigious church, and married the love of his life. And with her death, the shell of the idea of him as a minister in a teaching that couldn't sustain his soul fell away. And so through countless experiences, through his beautiful life, the shell fell away, the shell fell away. And what it took him to was a realization that I have to speak the truth no matter what happens. And so he said to his first church in Boston, I can't do this anymore. He said it's predicated on a lie that the earth was made in six days and then the Lord rested on the seventh, that Adam and Eve, through original sin, cast us into this place of flawed sinfulness to which we needed someone to die so that we could be resurrected and saved. And he says, it's none of that's true. And he found that out by studying Copernicus in 1831, who said that the earth isn't the center of the universe. The earth is a small planet that circles a, an insignificant star in the galaxies. So when the truth wakes up, can we then shed the shell of our belief systems in order to ignite something that's greater? And I think that's happening for all of us. Something is waking up within our species that says we are one, one life, God's life. And what would life look like if we had a new design from living premised on source, not on the egoic conditioning that each one of us has had? You know, we do these beautiful revealing services and I see the shells falling away from everyone. Boy, Nancy and Lee were in one hell of a shell today and they went for a walk and saw the birds and in a holy instant, they stepped out of the tyranny of their shell into the freedom that was already always waiting for them in a bird, in a tree, in a pond. And then you hear Meister Eckhart who says, he who can see beauty in the smallest of things is better than seeing an angel. So I've been taking refuge in these last two weeks in simple things like the blossoming of a flower in my window, the uncovering of the bulbs in the garden, the tending of my fragile little pug who has one eye, which he has a big cataract over, he can't see, he can't hear, and yet his sweetness and his vulnerability have become part of my spiritual practice. Boy, does it teach you patience when you have to wait for them for half an hour before they find the right and perfect place to do their business. When they sit up in the bed and bark and bark and bark until you pick them up and carry them out. With no resentment, it's a privilege to serve. <laughs> and so when my sweet husband says, do you think it's time for us to get a new pup? I said, while I'm dealing with this sacred spiritual practice called Humphrey, I'm going to wait until 
there is a space where something new can come in. Because I learned before when we brought the new dog in from the pound, he kept humping the humph. And I'd say, don't hump the humph. Don't hump the humph. And he kept humping the humph. And we just couldn't have it because Humphrey was fragile and he wouldn't stop humping. And so goes life. And you have to make choices. What are your priorities? So yes, Emerson to the rescue. This is our new class. And um, through Anastasia's help and maybe Adam's, we're going to do our Wednesday night on Zoom. And we're going to do a revealing service so that more people can participate in this shared heart space. You know, it's very significant what we do in these circles on Sunday morning. And it was David Hawkins, the mystic, who said, the simple premise is when you change yourself, you change the world. And then David Hawkins says, when we open our heart and the love flows from our heart, it literally is like the ocean lifting up the ship on the sea. So what if when we let the love out, it literally transforms the world? It's not that we have to fix the world, we get to be a loving presence in the world. I'm using this wonderful book by Jack Cornfield to inspire this month's series of talks. It's called No Time Like the Present. And Jack Cornfield talks about the Buddhist path in such a sacred way. And I'm gonna just give you a little taste of what he says. He says, these are very challenging times that we're living in. And he quotes Ralph Waldo Emerson. Yeah, well, it's only one mind and we're linked. Emerson says, only to the degree that people are unsettled, is there any hope for them? Prior to that, the true quote is, we all seek to be settled, you know, to have this consistency and stability. But he said, only to the degree that you are unsettled, is there any hope for you? I don't know if you watch the congressional hearings, but there's some unsettled energy in our country. A little six-year-old boy went into the school and shot his teacher. There's some crazies going on in this country. These are unsettled times. So he goes on to say, to find freedom amidst these challenging times, we have to start with ourselves. So how are you relating to your own mind? How are you relating to your body? Are you seeing it as a sacred space that you get to tend? Or are you letting your mind be filled up with all kinds of negative, irritating thoughts? It, it was Moses that said, the word is in your mouth, a blessing or a curse according to how you use it. So are we being conscious co-creators and choosing loving thoughts, choosing uh, inclusive thoughts. The universe, Nancy and Lee gave me this beautiful little hand-painted thing with a saying, and I think it was, um, I can't remember who said it. Oh, it was Richard Rohr. It says, the universe does not create sameness. It celebrates diversity. And I'm talking to my prayer partner this morning and I shared with him, he always says, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I'm talking about a new design for living for this month. And this Sunday, I'm speaking about courting the beautiful questions. I said, do you have any insight on that? And he says, well, you know, before I started ministry, I took one of those transformational workshops. And in that transformational workshop, they gave us one assignment to find the one relevant question that you could carry forth as an intention for your transformation, for your emergence. And he says, I struggled all weekend. What would be the question that would be relevant for me? And he says, it came out so clear. And this was maybe 30 years ago. And he said, and it's still the question that haunts me. And the question he had back then was, how can I manifest the gifts of my authentic soul? How can I manifest in the world the gifts of my authentic soul? As I finish this month up at the very last Sunday, it's so interesting he would say that because the last talk of this month is called Living from Our Authentic Soul. Now, who is that? 
What does it profit man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul, says Emerson. So could we discover that authentic self within the self that wants to be an original thinker? He, Emerson says, beware when the universe unleashes an original thinker. And Emerson, to honor Ernest Holmes, and Ernest Holmes was inspired by Emerson like nobody else. Once he broke out of that shell, he couldn't stop talking. And it, it's so in this little book of Emerson, this is so cute. Once he got out of that church, he talked and he went everywhere. He went over to Europe and he linked up with the poets, William Wordsworth. Um, he influenced Walt Whitman. He Im influenced Emily Dickinson because he said the highest profession is that of the poet. And in Emerson's mind, it's because the poet lived from the soul. And so, um, what did I, oh, I was going to say something to you in here and I didn't, yeah. Um, I'll just have to remember it. Yeah, he spoke everywhere, and except he wouldn't go to one place, and the one place he wouldn't speak was in the South, because in the South they had slaves. And he was a strong abolitionist, and he, he said, principle is not bound by precedent, to which Ernest Holmes claimed that phrase. And he says, there is a principle of oneness. There is a principle of freedom. It says in the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all are created equal. Now he said all men. And if you were to think back in the times when Jefferson penned this, it would be all white men who are landowners are created equal. Women are secondary, they can't hold property, they can't, they're property of the man. Blacks, of course, are inferior. I think they're one half of a human in the voting thing. And so Emerson said, this is wrong. You can't have a principle of oneness and then have segregation, have otherness. And so he dared to speak his truth even when they said, this is, you don't say that. And of course, you know, I love people who speak the truth. Beware when the universe unleashes an original thinker. And so in this lovely book, I'll give you the last paragraph because you'll find it so sacred. He says, the time is right for women to vote. He was out there defending you women on the planet. And women will civilize our politics just as they civilize our schools. And he says, let the laws be purged of every impediment to women. Let them pursue every level of education that is available to men and let them buy and hold and sell property just as men do. And let them have a say in making the laws that govern us all. Because, you know, of the two species, the women are the ones that really recognize. You know, in the indigenous people, the tribes would always have the elders of the women. Before they would send their young braves into battle, the women would say, is it really worthy of our young braves to go and lose their lives so that you can gain another, hmm. So could we defer to the wisdom of the women, he says. As society progresses, the position of women should rise. But that does not mean that position of men should fall. Our fates are intertwined and the women's rights movement is a rising tide that will elevate both men and women. Could we not be threatened by giving rights to people. You know, I'm so touched by the immigration system and the people at the border because I resemble that. My ancestors came over from Norway. They were fleeing persecution. And what if they had stood at the, the borders at wherever they came in and said, you got to go back to Norway, get on that boat and go back. I wouldn't be here to smile at all y'all. I think my father's relatives were fleeing religious persecution. I think some of that lives in me. I think they were Puritans because he, he really disdained religion. My mother, on the other hand, was evangelical Lutheran, where you believe in everything with blind faith. And so she was the straight and narrow, hardcore way. 
And my father was explore and think and discover something greater. Now I've discovered at 74 that the ancestors live in you. So my dad lives in me, I can hear his counsel, my mother's sweet, compassionate nature, and I believe that we get the best of them. You know, we can choose to take the best of them. And the parts that weren't so skillful, my father was an, had an addictive behavior, um, but there's compassion around that. He was also severely depressed. And I believe my twin sister had a little bit of that of my father's addictive habits and she was a depressed soul, but she also had this open-heartedness of my mother. So when you lose your twin, you begin to see these patterns on the energy that were always there. And they're sending these photographs from the past. And as time collapses, I'm beginning to see that those moments, especially those soulful moments are so real. And there was one photograph that was sent this week and it was a little David Leonard. I think he was in kindergarten. And my twin sister, she was very pretty and she, had, um, she was dressed like a little doll. And I remember we had gone to Sunday school my brother was tall and handsome and he had his little suit on. My twin was pretty in her crinoline. She had a little purse, a little bonnet. I think she had little gloves on. My mother dressed her to the tees and I was the runt of the litter. I was always really small. So I remember coming home from church that Sunday. This photograph brought it back to memory. And mom said, Mike and Pat are out in the backyard. Dad's taking photographs of them because they look so pretty in their Sunday clothes. I was in my underwear, kind of like a little Barry, a little version of Barry. So I go running out in my underwear and the photograph is of my twin sisters with her purse and her bonnet and me standing there in my underwear, my tidy whities and I've got a big smile on my face and I thought, oh gosh, I felt excluded as a child. And um, I remember I didn't fit into the boy model. Um, they would want me to go to learn how to swim at the, at the YMCA and all the little boys were naked and I was afraid to get naked with the little boys. So I would run away from home and sit up in the hills. All these memories are flooding back. And then there's a photograph of my brother trying to teach me how to play baseball. I couldn't throw the ball, I couldn't catch the ball, I couldn't hit the ball. I would wanted to be with my little sister and playing paper dolls. See, Barry's nodding his head. So all these memories are coming back from this childhood. And, and there was a dysfunction there that you learn to compensate for as you grow up. You learn to hide behind a mask and you learn to give the world what you think the world wants and your authentic little soul gets stifled. And so Emerson says, have faith that when women decide something is just and right and good, that men will rise up to help them accomplish it. Amen, hallelujah, praise Jesus. There's hope for humanity. And look how far we've come. This man was a trailblazer. He was shaking people out of their comfort zone. And people desperately need that. We need it now. And, and the gift that my sister's death is giving me is that, that we don't die. You know, I shared with you that Wanda Gale said you will be closer to your mother in death than you were in life. And, you know, and I feel Emerson all the time. I feel Rumi. I feel my dad. But my twin sister's like something else I've never, ever experienced because she won't let go of me. I was telling Anastasia, she keeps pulling to me to come and be with her. And I'm having a difficult time with that because I'm telling her I can be with you at a soul level and um, and you can be with me in whatever way. It, it's just it's just strange. I feel like I've stepped into the twilight zone and I don't know how to get out. Well, this is Rod Serling here. You're stepped into the twilight zone and now we're in David's crazy mind. He doesn't know how to deal with this. And I'm going, yeah, that's where it is. Oh, so I'm breaking out of the shell of me being in control and I'm trying to surrender to this uh, mystery of the universe that's waking up in me. And um, so I turned to Jack Cornfield, 
and his wife, you talk about not being settled. She is a meditation teacher and she goes to Darfur where people are in an abject state of survival and she goes there to serve. You talk about living the beautiful questions. And so she says, um, the challenges and the opportunities that we experience in life are here for us. So stop, it's time to enter into your heart. This is how you deal with it. This is helping me. This is where love, wisdom, and grace and compassion reside. Whoa, I think the invitation is to go into your heart because the heart knows oneness. Could we do that? And then open our heart and just see what's there. Now, with loving attention, feel what matters the most to you right now. Yes, there are anxious thoughts and there is grief and then there is trauma. But don't let your heart be colonized by fear. Your heart doesn't want to go into the nattering nabobs of negativity. Really, your heart wants to open. You know, it's so funny. I had, uh, Tia will appreciate this. She did some paintings of my dogs when they were young and happy. And Natalia Zuckerman at the Circle of Love, part of her career is painting portraits of animals. And so I showed her photographs of my dogs and she painted this beautiful painting of Bert and Speck. And she said their soul was with me when I painted it. And when I look at this painting of Burton Speck, she captured their soul. And so it sits in the dining room and I look at it and I feel that they're here with me. Now, why is it I can feel their presence so closely with me? Could I do accommodate the humans in a similar sort of way? Yeah, so with loving attention, feel what matters most to you. Yes, there are anxious thoughts, there's even grief. So go out and look at the sky when you can't handle things anymore. This is for you, Nancy when you're really traumatized by your technological stuff, go out and look at the sky and breathe in and open yourself to the vastness of the space in which we abide. Last Sunday, I spoke about this vastness is your home. So could we know ourselves as universal beings and this finite stuff happens? And yes, it's traumatic, but just by going and feeling the communion with a tree, when Anastasia shows up with Pepper, I see speckles that liveness in, 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 in a dog's smile. I don't have to just deal with the ghost of her. He says, breathe in and open yourself to the vastness and then sense the seasons that are turning, the rise and fall of dynasties and eras and practice equanimity and steadfastness. Learn from the trees, become the still point in the center of all life. Well, I think this is Tantra. You learn from the trees saying the peace in the tree meets the peace in me. In that there is one peace. The harmony in nature meets the harmony in me. When Emerson awoke after the death of his young wife, he found refuge in nature. Not as something we're here to dominate and take dominion over, but as a sacred oracle that healed him. He found there is an order in nature that was sacred. So lastly, he quotes Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh reminds us in uncertain times, our own steadfastness can become a sanctuary for others. In uncertain times, when we can find the steadfastness and center within ourselves, we can offer it to the world. And then he shares a little story about the Vietnamese uh, refugees that were fleeing on these ships. And he said, if the, if the people on the ship were troubled and the ship would capsize and they would lose them. But all it required was one person on those ships that were fleeing persecution to be centered and steadfast and they would survive. So he's saying, could we be that implement in the world? Ours is not 
to fix the entire world all at once, but of stretching to mend the parts that is within our reach. Together, let us tie each other's shoes and walk each other home. Let us tie each other's shoes and walk each other home. And then he talks about listening from the heart. Thomas Merton points out of what use is it to travel to the moon if we cannot even cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves and from one another? Could we build a bridge between each other? A bridge based on compassion and acceptance and tolerance. And then he goes, he says, first turn toward yourself, listen to the fears that are rising up within you, and then be present for whatever is in your heart, listening deeply to yourself. Hold with tender compassion all that arises. That's what I'm attempting to do with this experience I'm going through, is to hold with compassion whatever arises. Sometimes it's an overwhelming grief. Sometimes it's a place of denial. Sometimes it's abject confusion. All those things operating simultaneously. Then, when you are ready, listen in the same way to others. If we, this young man that's in prison, he spoke with me and asked to write him and I wrote him a letter and they wouldn't receive the letter because I didn't put my first name on the return address. I just put Leonard and my, so they sent my letter back and he called me from the prison, said they sent your letter back and, and he's going through his own growth experience. It's so beautiful. He's finding the sacredness in the prison and he's saying, I'm learning to forgive myself and to forgive others and to let somebody go and not to cling to them. So it's really a sacred time. And he asked if he could call me the day before his hearing on Wednesday. And he considers you all his spiritual family. So we're all connected. He says, um, my beloved wife, Trudy Goodman, she's a meditation teacher and colleague and an inspiration for me my whole life. She's been working in Darfur refugee camps on the border of Chad in Africa. And she says, they went to the camps where the children are starving. And they simply asked the women what they wanted and the workers what they needed. And then they went in and sat down and just listened to them with an open heart. And then he goes on and on about some of the mothers said, could you just give us a soccer ball? Because our kids need to play again. They don't know what it's like with bombs all around them with starvation. Could you get us a soccer ball so our kids can find their childhood that they've lost? She says, it's beautiful to ask people what they need and then listen deeply. From this mindful, wise action, beneficial action can arise. So what do you need? I want to thank all of you for um, giving me space to go through what I need. Because I, I have a hard time talking about what I'm going through. And, uh, you know, several people have reached out and said, if you ever need to talk, I'm here. I, I don't even know how to deal with it myself, much less talk to anybody about it. So I've been kind of isolating. Barry understands this and just trying to find that place of balance within myself. And uh, so, yeah, okay, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Oh, so I asked myself, what would be the uh, beautiful questions that I court right now? And you know, it was uh, Wayne Mueller that wrote a beautiful book, How Then Shall We Live Knowing That We Shall Die? And his whole premise was on the question, how then shall we live this conscious life that we've been given with so much blessings when we're all slightly awake. They, they say that the things that we can be most grateful for is that we're here on planet Earth because the Buddha say, you know how rare it is that you have this life? 
It's as rare as if a blind turtle could rise up in the Pacific Ocean and find the one lifesaver to put its head through. That's how rare it is that you're here. So consider this life that you've been given really sacred. And then if to be grateful for the life that you've been given and to be grateful that you're slightly awake, that you're not asleep in the dream. Most of you have pecked out of the shell and now you're trying to adjust to this greater sense of this is who I am. There's a wonderful book by Stephen Levine that I pulled out. It says, who dies? It's only the form that dies. My prayer partner was telling me in his funeral services up in Canada, he talks about conservation of energy. And science knows that energy can't be created or destroyed. And so when you know the energy of spirit or the energy of soul cannot be created or destroyed, yes, the form is gone, but the essence endures. So that's what someone who is slightly awake would say, you know, and then be grateful that you have a teacher. Now life is the great teacher. But to know that the teacher is the one who wakes something up in you. Emerson truly is my teacher from the very moment I read him, even posthumously, he's teaching me. Some of us love Parker Palmer and Parker Palmer in his book, The Brink of Everything, said, I met Thomas Merton a year after he died. And he said, Thomas Merton awoke something in me that was so alive that had never been awakened. And it's not that he's dead and he's inspiring me. No, he said, Thomas Merton lives in me. And Thomas Merton is that one who said, why would we want to fly to the moon when we can't even build a bridge between each other's hearts to know that we're all connected? So I believe that, that we, I'm an optimist, that things are evolving in a greater sort of oneness sort of way. Yesterday I was in the kitchen and chopping up for the chef and he was preparing and as I did, I had one of those nature shows on and they were talking about in Costa Rica, in the rainforests, 90% of the rainforests have been cut down so they can have banana plantations. Now, the trouble with that is the rare green macaw, one of the most beautiful birds on the planet, is nearly extinct because its habitat was destroyed. But to their credit, the Costa Ricans said, we have 10% of those forests left. And so the mountain almond, which is the tree that these beautiful macaws feed off of, they're preserving the trees and they're even evolving to a place where they're restoring the forest by planting the mountain almond in other places. So that, so you see there's hope on the planet that we are waking up to our interconnectedness. I, I see little things like that. I was sharing with Gigi and Raul, we started watching this Netflix show on Harry and Meghan. And I find it so beautiful because they both had to break out of a shell. He the royal shell and she the shell of the mm, the troublemaker remember she's an interracial a woman from the states an actress and when they knew they were dating she said i was in toronto and all the paparazzi were chasing her all around she said i didn't feel safe because they wanted to know how to report me to the british people and the tabloids were not pleasant and so the two of them broke out of this in a very beautiful to me beautiful way because they're not blaming anybody they're saying it was time to step out of something that was uncomfortable and to offer our authentic truth to the world and i see it as a beautiful love story and you can all choose to judge it whatever you want but i see it as, as a breakthrough for humanity she shared so sweetly to being an interracial child her parents were married um, it lasted a year. Here's this little interracial baby. She was raised by her mother. Her father was a, a, in the movies. And so she would spend the weekends with him. And she said, I was a daddy's girl. But she said, I never knew where I fit in. Do I fit in with the black community? You're not black enough. Do I fit in with the white community? You're not white enough. And so here I am trying to find no bubble is big enough for her. But what she did have was this activist heart who wanted to help. And so she and Harry met 
like in Darfur, where they were helping disadvantaged children, and their call to serve is where they found the love beginning to flower. How sweet is that? And she would say to him, because he would talk about his mother, Diana, and she'd say, you know she's with you. And he believes that his mother brought the two of them together. Well, I think that's a pretty beautiful idea. Don't you think so? Yeah. There was this beautiful, what was this young man's name who was, um, he, he was hit by the, oh, his name was Damar Hamlin, the young man that uh, his heart stopped beating. And what was so profound for me was they all got to the one knee and they were all praying for him. They got the heart to start beating. And throughout the country, through the well wishes and the prayers, he literally came back to life. And when he woke up and he said to the doctor, did we win the game? He said, you won the game of life, you're still here. So now this young man who's awakening the hearts, I would say all over the planet, he says, please keep praying for me because it's working. Now, what if there's a higher vibrational something going on here that we get to witness? You know, we're in a creative universe and our intentions matter. So yeah, so what were the questions that I thought would be a beautiful question to court? How can I serve this moment? All we ever have is the moment. How can I serve the moment? So we had a lot of trees just bite the dust when that hard freeze came. And someone sent me an article and it said, when you go from 50 degrees to minus 30 in, in five hours, some of the evergreens can't handle it. And so Trey and I planted two beautiful Osmanthus fragrance 30 years ago when we bought the house and they're up over the roof and they're evergreens, a fragrant, fragrant plant, but all the leaves turned black. And then the winds came and all the leaves came tumbling down within a very short period and our little pond in the backyard where Napoleon and Josie live was covered with a layer of this deep leaves. And so there I am panicking on a cold morning on my knees with a scooper and scooping out the leaves and there they were just the two of them at the bottom of the pond, they were perfectly fine. And I was dealing with my own neurotic need to rescue the things. And what if we could just meet the moment, whatever the moment brings. So how am I serving the moment? By cleaning out the pond, by taking Humphrey out, by uncovering the bulbs as they want to start pushing their little life force up. I think I've got thousands of bulbs in my yard, Sylvia, and it's amazing. And most of them are covered with leaves. I've got one of those forests like you, Anastasia. I like to leave the leaves as a natural mulch, but the little bulbs are trying to peek out. So I take my little blower and I blow over a colony of bulbs. And all of a sudden they say, thank you. Now I can reach for the light. And so these little things about serving the moment, they're not complicated things. When Adam comes over, we look at the plants and we ask them, how do you want your dignity back? And sometimes we have to climb up the tree and cut the dead out so they can express even more beautifully. Could we have the courage to do that with our own life? What needs to be pruned from your life? Huh. What needs to be planted in your life? What needs to be honored and let go of in your life? I love that John O'Donohue's blessings, he says, may all that is unforgiven in you be released. Is there any forgiveness work that you need to do? You know, my twin sister had really horrible taste in men and um, I'm sure she forgave both number one and number two. Her last husband, she fled by climbing out of the window with a baby in her arms and a two-year-old at his side because he was abusive to her. So they climbed out of the window and they escaped. And I said to my twin, I said, you don't need to be doing relationships until you can have a little bit more discernment. And she agreed. But she was a wonderful mother and she raised these kids and I saw the grace and the beauty in that because she had the courage to step out of something that was untenable so she could step into her life. And these four beautiful kids reflect on their mother and they say, 
her courage to be her authentic self, and boy, was she authentic, is the inspiration that they're carrying forth in their lives. Did she do it the straight and narrow way like most people do? No, no, she did it her way. And she worked her tail off to take care of those kids. She was a maid in a motel. And yeah, that's what she did. Um, so another question, how can I open to the grace and the mystery that is claiming my soul? That's the question I'm living right now. How can I open to the grace and the mystery that's claiming my soul? I'm being taken on a soul journey that I hadn't anticipated. And it's requiring that I learn to listen deeply to the mystery of something that is uh, beyond what I know. It's not a knowledge thing. It's a context thing. There's an intelligence within the universe that's waking up in me. How can I serve that, Miss Nancy? You know what I did because of you? I went to get my Mary Oliver out. And I'm going to close with two little poems of Mary Oliver where she tells us how she finds the beautiful question that helps her heal into oneness. And she does it by going into nature and by asking a really salient question that I ask every day of my life. Well, I'll give, it, I'll give you her because she's direct and not. This is her little poem called The Summer Day. These are the beautiful questions that Mary Oliver asks you, Miss Nancy. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, you see her observe herself. Who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes? Have you ever looked into the eye of a grasshopper? It's multidimensional. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. She's having tantra with a grasshopper. Now she straps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what prayer is, she says. I do know how to pay attention how to fall down into the grass and how to kneel down into the grass. Emerson says, when I see the expression of the soul revealed, it takes me to my knees. So she falls to her knees in the grass and is having communion with nature. I don't know how to pay attention, but I know how to fall down into the grass and how to kneel down into the grass and how to be idle and blessed and how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. So tell me, what else should I have done? And lastly, she asked the question, doesn't everything die at last and too soon? So tell me, here's the question. What is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? I'll say this for you, Barry, again. So tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Well, I think she called your life precious and wild. What are you going to do with it, Anastasia? So could we live in that question? And then I'm going to take her to my favorite of all her poems. It's called The Swan. And this is where she shares how she deeply listens when she goes into nature. This is for you, Miss Nancy, as you go through Wheeler Park. It's called the Swan. She says, did you see it? Drifting all night on the Black River. Did you see it in the morning, rising into the silvery air? 
an armful of white blossoms. Well, she's calling a swan an armful of white blossoms. That's kind of a an armful of white blossoms, a perfect commotion of silk and linen as it leaned into the bondage of its wings, a snowbank, a bank of lilies, biting the air with its black beak. Did you hear it? Fluting and whistling. Did you hear it? Did you see it? Did you hear it fluting and whistling? A shrill dark music like the rain that's pelting the trees, like a waterfall, knifing down the black ledges. And did you see it finally, just under the clouds, a white cross that's streaming across the sky, its feet like black leaves, its wings like a stretching light on the river. And did you feel it, she asks. She's asking us to feel the beauty of a swan, Miss Sylvia. And did you feel it in your heart? Because you're not separate, Michael. Did you feel it in your heart and how it pertained to everything, everything? And have you too finally figured out what beauty is for? Well, I think she's asking you, have you figured out what beauty is for? The true, the beautiful, the mysterious, and have you changed your life? The last question. Well, I think that's a beautiful question. Have you seen the beautiful? Are you willing to change your life? Are you willing to explore a new design for living? So Jan, you want to ring the mindfulness bell since you're sitting back there and I'll take us into a little meditation. Beautiful. Thank you, Jan. And so we court the question because it takes us into an inquiry and a discovery. What is seeking you? What is wanting to be revealed through you? What do you need? What do you want? Are you open to the grace of the moment? When you think of love, I think of a place where love overflows. Could we listen to this love that's waking up within us and ask it, what gifts do I bring to this planet? Gifts of my soul. And then ask the beautiful question, am I willing to step out of the shell of yesterday and into the unknown, unfolding expanse of the soul's yearning? Rumi says, all swimming in the ocean of love ends in drowning. And so he was pointing toward the drop of the ocean becoming the ocean, no longer identified as the drop. And then he says, oh, drop, oh, drop, give it up. The ocean for a drop? Oh, he says, to be wooed by the ocean. And so could we open to this wooing of divine love, seeking us to be its instrument for revelation? its instrument of service, knowing that it moves through this jubilant of beholden soul. And then Emerson would also say, prayer is the contemplation of the facts of life with a jubilant and beholden soul. And so the facts are what the facts are, but a jubilant and beholden soul would be grateful 
joyous because it is not bound by precedent. Principle is not bound by precedent. And so we stand up to the ignorance. All are created equal, not just white men of privilege. All life is sacred. All of life. The beautiful green macaw from Costa Rica. The sea turtles that waddle to the ocean. The beautiful mountain almond tree uh, in the rainforests of Costa Rica that provide their hard shells so that the macaw can survive. We're all connected in the tapestry of the one life, here to serve one another, to help one another. And so we finally ask that question, how can I serve the highest good? Now here, Jack Cornfield's wife, she says, by just by listening with your heart and offering that space to the world. Uh, and so we enter into that peace that passes all understanding. It's always here. I hold my spirit animal, the penguin, because somehow he's holding me. And so what if we're here to hold each other in a space of acceptance and love? I can remember when I had my heart attack, I went out to the ancestor of the tree. I called her grandmother tree. And I just held the tree. And I drank from her peace. She held me. I was a little boy who'd had a heart attack. He showed up then, he was six again. And he showed up here today, he was six again. And it just shows me that time is an illusion. We're spiritual beings and we're having a human experience. And so in this human experience, we know that we are held, we are loved, we are seen, we are supported. Uh, and so we invite the last beautiful question, beloved, beloved. Uh, we surrender to you, we trust you. And so let's join in the heart salutation in that united commitment to the one that knows no other by saying, I honor you. I respect you. I love you. You are the awakened love and light of the universe. It reveals her beauty, unfolds her knowing, celebrates her synchronicities. It's in the sacred now, seeing the good, the God everywhere calling it forth with ease and grace, innocence and wonder, huh, and playful certainty, knowing that it is always given, we open to receive, all is well, so it is. Open your arms like Barry's doing. Send out the light to the world. We're all connected in that beautiful tapestry of the one. Thank you for being here today and helping me go through this. I don't know if I could do it without your beautiful hearts holding my heart.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. More information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org. You create a brand new